0: What makes evangelism successful? That is the opening question today to get, to get us thinking about what we are going to be talking about and seeing in God's Word. What makes evangelism successful? What makes, makes sharing the gospel with people, the truth about Jesus, successful? Well... I have now spent thousands upon thousands of dollars trying to answer that question. If I look at my seminary education, getting a master's degree, uh, reading books, studying, um, paying professors, and then a doctorate as well. What makes evangelism successful? I don't know how many books I've purchased, how many I've read. No doubt you've read books. You've heard sermons A lot of different people answer that question differently. I just pulled two books from my bookshelf just to remind myself of how many bad answers there are and how much money I've spent trying to answer this question. What makes evangelism successful? It's a mandate for us because of the Great Commission. And so it's really important for us. What makes it it successful? Well, not everyone, but many, many, many people I'm going to be careful to not say most, but maybe even most say, what makes it successful would be a positive response. You have succeeded at proclaiming the good news of salvation in Christ. When people positively respond, they like you for saying what you said to them and they believe in Jesus. Now don't get me wrong. I love it when that happens. I like to be liked and I like it when people come to believe in Jesus. But when we look to the Bible and we find faithful gospel proclamation, faithful evangelism, does it always end with people happy, believing? Or maybe does it sometimes end with people opposing, antagonistic, and persecuting? I think the latter is the right answer. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see it in Acts 14. So if you have a Bible, you can find the 14th chapter of the book we call the book of Acts. It surveys the latter part of Paul's first missionary journey, and it will do many things for us, but I hope and pray that it helps us, Omaha Bible Church and those visiting, those listening, those tuning in later, to think through faithful gospel sharing, faithful evangelism. What might it look like and what might it not look like? Because it's something that's really important to us. If you're just joining us, the book of Acts, we call it the book of Acts. That title's not used in the Bible. Uh, we call it the book of Acts because it has to do with actions. And so it's the Acts of the Apostles, or the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, or it's the Acts of Jesus Christ post-ascension through the power of His Spirit in the lives of the Apostles. We can cover all the bases. It's what happens after Jesus ascends, early church kind of stuff. Also, just by way of review and to bring everyone up to speed, uh, really, we have a two-volume set in the Bible. Some of you can finish my sentences, because I've mentioned this a handful of times in our series on Acts. Uh, we have a two-volume set. We call it Luke-Acts, because really, they're meant to go together originally. So the Gospel according to Luke is written by the same individual who writes the book of Acts, and they're meant to go together. Luke, Gospel according to Luke, would be the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, Uh, All the way to the resurrection and then the book of acts would have jesus ascending into heaven But before he goes he commissions his apostles and we see the birth of the early church And if you just want to listen to these words, it gives us some insight Into why we have the book of acts written by luke Luke says this in luke one, but remember it's for both volumes Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative, a storyline of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, this is Dr. Luke, medical doctor, also having followed all things closely for some time past To write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. That's the man's name. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Theophilus, I want you to know that we're talking not about mythology. Theophilus, the heritage of Christianity is not mythology. The heritage of Christianity would have to do with history with real things that really happened in time and space before eyewitnesses. And I want you to know this so that you, maybe he's thinking about believing. Maybe he is a believer. We don't know, but he's thinking through the issues so that you can have certainty that your faith is not in faith. Your faith is not in mythology or something else. There's an actual history involved here. And I love that. It's the gospel of certainty. It's the book of Acts according to certain revelation. Hope you found the book of Acts by now. We're going to do all of chapter 14. Don't really need an outline. I think it would only get in the way. We see evangelism in different kinds of settings with different kinds of responses. We're going to see things that are kind of funny. We're going to see things that are are kind of frightening. We're going to see things that are tragic. We're going to see things that are good examples but what we're seeing is the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of his spirit, through men and women, boys and girls like us, sharing the gospel and having it lead to different kinds of responses. So I hope I hope it helps bolster us and give us boldness and, and confidence and passion and zeal and all of those things. Acts 14 verse 1, now at Iconium in modern Turkey. The province of Galatia, we have the book of Galatians in the New Testament. It's that region. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue. That would be their custom, the apostles. That's typically what they do. Let's start with the Bible people first. They take the Bible seriously. Let's go there and show them that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. So they entered into the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So you've got these non-Jews that are associated with Judaism, Uh, perhaps they've come to believe in the one true and living God, and so they want to go to synagogue as well and pay attention to these things. And so they preach in such a way that, notice it says, a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So how is it that you can preach, proclaim, and have it lead to belief in Jesus? Because that's what happens here. Well, I try to be interesting, uh, don't always succeed. Amen. Uh, I try, I, I, I try to be engaging. I try to be persuasive. I try to be all of these things as a public speaker and not just have this be, you know, Omaha Bible Church yawn fest every week. But that's not how you get people to believe. It wasn't because they were great orators, though they might have been great orators. We've already learned in the book of Acts, like in chapter 13, verse 48. And remember, it's all designed to go together. We've just most recently learned that the way people come to believe is Acts 13, 48. They'd been appointed unto eternal life to believe. Yeah. So let's not read this out of context. And apparently here, a lot of people had been appointed unto eternal life because a lot of people believe. Now we could fill in the lines a little bit and look at other passages People come to believe by divine appointment, yes, Acts 13, 48, but people also come to believe through the proclamation of the good news of salvation in Christ. Many of you know the passage that I'm thinking of, not because you're a mind reader, but because you're good students of the Bible. And if you're not a mind reader or a good student of the Bible, you came to the right place. We're going to help you to be a good student of the Bible. Romans 10 says, that faith belief in Christ comes by how? By hearing. Okay? Faith comes by hearing it says in Romans chapter 10 and so if we we won't take the time to go there Romans 10:17 I thought it was Romans 10:9. I'm not a good mind reader of my own mind. <laughs> Romans 10:9 is important as well. So here's what's happening. They preach the good news of salvation in Christ. Many come to believe that, as in they're going to trust in Christ. And so we know they came to believe because of divine appointment, Acts 13. But they also came to believe through the means that God uses to draw people. And that would be the proclamation of the truth about Christ. That's how this happened. It wasn't some magic formula. It wasn't because there were such great, great salespeople. Many came to believe. Oh, that means many were appointed and they were faithful to proclaim the gospel because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17 happens. So I think it's so fascinating to watch this happening. I love it that many believed. I want many more people to believe, but there's this temptation to try to get them to believe by means other than the means that God has given us. So here, this is exciting. But by stark contrast is verse 2. Verse 2 says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. What a great label for bad people. They're mind poisoners. They poisoned their minds against the brothers. So it's very graphic. So some of the Jews came to believe in Jesus... But others didn't, and they didn't want anybody else to believe either. They opposed. Why would anyone oppose? It's not because there isn't enough evidence. It's not because it's not historic. It's not because of any of those reasons. Jesus would say that they have rejected the light, John chapter 3, because people love darkness. It's a spiritual problem for them, John 3, 19. They, they don't want to believe in Jesus, not because they're spiritually neutral, not because there aren't enough facts, but because they people love darkness. Apart from God or, or intervening, apart from God working, we just have to know that people love darkness, and they will oppose apart from God working in their lives. How might they have poisoned their minds? Well, we have to speculate, which is dangerous. Maybe they poison their minds by saying, you know, we've heard it on good authority that they're, that they're liars. Or maybe it's, you know what, they're really not as well educated in the scriptures as we are. And, you know, I heard that so... Who knows? A million different ways, perhaps, to poison people's minds. They're in it for the money. They're in it for the fame. They're just drawing attention to themselves. Regardless, they're poisoning people's minds so that they wouldn't believe by human perspective. It reminds me of Jesus' parable in Matthew 13 of the soils or the sower, whichever one you prefer. Remember, the sower goes out and the, and the seed represents the gospel, the word of God that goes out and it falls on different kinds of soils and there's that one soil. It just, it just falls on the side of the road and the birds come and they take it right away. And in Matthew 13, Jesus interprets it, and he says the devil does that, symbolizing the devil would be the birds. They hear it. It's the true gospel, but they don't come to believe it. And he says, Jesus says, the evil one comes and snatches snatches it away, what might be sown in their hearts. Mind poisoning is what they're up to. think about how many times you tell people the truth about Christ, you tell people the truth about the gospel, and then someone else says, well, you know, actually, there's a different kind of Christianity that actually says you don't actually have to believe in Jesus and that people are basically good. And I mean, there's so many different ways that what you say that's true and historic is countered by those who love darkness and they don't want anybody else to believe in Jesus. And so they're... Busy poisoning people's minds. Out of my control. I might want to respond, but ultimately God has to work in people's hearts. Acts 13, 48. So in response to the belief, in response to the opposition, in response to the unbelief, verse three says, so they remain for a long time, which is kind of curious. Oh, so people are opposing and doing mind poisoning, so we're going to just stay. Kind of strange but maybe not speak here. Here's why they stay speaking boldly for the Lord. We, we need to counter this mind poisoning, speaking boldly for the Lord. Maybe also to show the believers that this doesn't mean we should cower. This doesn't mean we should just t- to head out all the more. We're going to stay and we're going to speak boldly and maybe be a good, bold example to you all who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands so we're going to we're going to encourage you we're going to be a good example but not only that these apostles are going to do signs and wonders which are important in the early church done by the apostles not all of the time not all of the time in the old testament history either but uniquely in the book of acts we end up seeing them to complement to support to bring credibility there's something unique and extraordinary happening Something significant has happened. Something not ordinary in history. We're not ordinary spokespeople promoting ordinary philosophies. No, it's accompanied by the supernatural that the apostles would carry out. Bearing witness to, I like it says, the word of his grace. I like it that the gospel is even referred to as the word of his grace. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. It's good news to you. It comes to you freely. And they're complimenting that. Now we should go on to verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And if you're like me, you're like, I thought the gospel unites. And that would be true. The gospel unites, right? In, In unique, extraordinary ways, the gospel brings unity. It brings peace. It's for good reason at Christmas time we sing about the Prince of Peace. It's Isaiah 9-6. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Absolutely. He reconciles like nobody else can reconcile. But Jesus also said, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword in Matthew 10-34. Two things can be true at the same time in different ways. And it's so important for us to remember more of the breadth of scripture lest we say, you know, maybe our gospel's not right. Because you know, Isaiah 9, 6, every Christmas time we talk about it. So the gospel that we believe and proclaim must be broken because it's not leading to universal unity. Oh, but hopefully this is why we have friends and we have a friend say, but there are other Bible verses, Pat. You need to have a more biblically balanced theology and perspective so you don't tinker with the gospel. The gospel indeed unites amazingly, wonderfully. It also divides. And that part I'm not so thrilled about. That part hurts more. That part affects my family in ways that cause me grief and sorrow. But it's good Jesus did talk about it. And I would remind you as well in all of this, and we'll talk more about this later perhaps, it doesn't make any sense to think that they came, Jesus came as the light, bringing salvation And some people came to believe in him. And some people crucified him and said he was the devil. So it's a total mental... um, I don't know what word to use. It it, it just doesn't match to say, oh, but you know what? Everybody's going to love us. doesn't make sense. I want it to be the case. But it's not going to be the case. And we see it here in the book of Acts. What happens in Luke to Jesus looks in a lot of ways like what happens in the book of Acts to Jesus' followers. Okay, let's keep moving. How about verse... Are we on verse 5? I'm having so much fun working through this that I didn't know where we were. Verse 5 says, When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews, who moments earlier wouldn't even eat together. Right? Amazing what unites people sometimes in their unbelief. When an attempt was made by both Jews and Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They they hate the disciples of Christ so much. They hate the gospel so much that they're going to do what the old covenant law requires of somebody who who is a blasphemer, somebody who tells lies about God. You're so terrible. We want to execute you by means of stoning. That's showing the heart of darkness. It says in verse 6, they, the apostles, learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby. Cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. So they flee 21 miles, 55 miles, all still in the Galatian region. Look at verse 7. I love verse 7. And there they continued to preach the gospel. You you can't pry my hands off of it absolutely tenaciously passionately lovingly how about faithfully you know what we're going to keep doing we're not going to tinker with it we're not going to change it we're not going to cut off the 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 sharp edges we're not going to try to make it more sellable we're not going to make it harsher we're not going to do any of those things we're going to keep proclaiming the good news of salvation in Christ if you as a sinner and we all are come to trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension as high priest. If you trust in him as your substitute in your place, God accepts you. God accepts you. And judgment day has actually already been determined. Therefore, having been justified, that's judgment day talk. We have peace with God. If that's true and they believe that it is, they will continue to preach the good news everywhere they go. I won't do that anymore, I know. It's starting to get irritating. I love this kind of resolve for you and for me. Why? Why were they so committed? Well, they're so committed. Let's just use a Bible verse. Paul will say later in Romans 1.16, For the gospel is the what? It's the power of God unto salvation. And so no matter what, this is what we're going to proclaim. Even if people don't think it's what they need or it's not what they want, it's actually what they need. It's with conviction that this happens. It's wonderful conviction. And I think we need these kinds of convictions. And a text like Acts 14 helps bolster that and and reassure us and remind us that maybe a lot of those books aren't such good books. It's wonderful. It's great. Now, if we move to a different area of emphasis, this lystra, it's secular. How about verse 8? Lystra. So they've been going to the Jewish synagogues, but now we're going, to, we're going to venture into a place that doesn't have a Jewish synagogue. It's going to look totally different and not totally different. It's going to look very different and it's going to look very much the same. Let's go. Verse eight. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. It's worded exactly the same way as in chapter 3, verse 2, when the same kind of thing happens with Peter the apostle. Verse 9 says, He listened to Paul speaking. And we know what Paul is speaking because verse 7 is clear. He's speaking the gospel. This is what he speaks. He listened to Paul speaking. I'm going to say he's speaking the good news about Jesus. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well... Notice in some of your margins, the ESV I know does it. The New American Standard does it as well. You can also translate that. Even the NASB says, literally, made well is the word for saved. Paul, looking at him, sees that he has faith to be made well or to be saved. Which one is it? Well, you can't base it upon a Greek word because it's the Greek word sozo and it means saved and it means, guess what? Made well. <laughs> it means either one. I don't know if we have to make a choice. Let's start with saved. He's hearing Paul speak and Paul is known for speaking one thing and that's the truth about Jesus and Paul sees that he has faith to be saved. So I, I'll, let's take it that way. But let's also take it the other way because he is going to be healed. And so he's not only going to be saved as in spiritually delivered from his sins and their penalty, but he also is going to be saved from the effects of sin in the world, which includes suffering and death, at least temporarily, because he's going to be healed. And I would suggest to you that when we read in the New Testament, healing, it's a preview of The finality of salvation, right? New creation happens and you experience the new creation if you're saved, right? The effects of the fall will be reversed. There will be no more death. It's part of being saved. And so in that sense, it's a preview of coming attractions. If you come to believe in Jesus, you'll be saved from your sin and God's wrath for your sin, but you'll also ultimately be saved from all of the effects of sin, including physical ailments. Preview of coming attractions. Maybe one text just to mention to you that I think has been so helpful to me more and more the more I study the Bible and it is 2 Corinthians 5.17. It may have been the first Bible verse I ever memorized and I think for decades I didn't really know what it meant but I knew that I memorized it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so that means united to Christ by faith, you receive all of the benefits All of the benefits, if you're in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is a Christian, in other words, he is a new creation. New creation talk. Paul is already looking forward to the new creation. And he's saying, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The point is because you're part of the new creation, but this isn't the new creation yet. Am I going too fast for you? (laughs) It's not part of the new creation. But Paul can with confidence say, because Christ's work is already done and he's already been raised from the dead, that you already are a new creation. And based upon the way I felt this morning, I don't feel like I'm a new creation. But I am in Christ. It's guaranteed. That's the idea. He says, the old has passed away. Doesn't feel like it. Behold, the new has come. That's not true. It's not true in our experience, but because of what Christ has done and promised, it's as good as done, so it is true. And so when we see these physical healings, it's not just to keep everybody off Obamacare or whatever it was and always healthy. It's not that. It's to give... That that guy would have a funeral one day, right? Or, or, Or maybe he would break his leg or not be able to walk later or whatever it is. It's not just to keep everybody healthy. It's to show... New creation power to those who believe. It's extraordinary. And Paul, this is kind of weird, Paul sees his faith. Now that's either by supernatural ability, he, he saw that he was believing, or or maybe, I'm not going to choose, maybe it's because sometimes when I'm preaching, I can see that some of you are agreeing with what I'm saying. Or you're faking me out. <laughs> Whether it's facial expressions, nonverbals, physical things, head nodding, depending on the culture, whatever reason, Paul, however it is, we don't know. Paul sees that he has faith to be saved, faith to be healed as well. It says in verse 10, and he said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Verse 11, and when the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. There's no other explanation. It wasn't that, you know, old Bill, you know, had a, as my grandparents used to say, had a hitch in his giddy up. (laughs) It wasn't, you know, old Bill had, you know, some arthritic problems and he wasn't getting around so good anymore. It's not that. He he was famous or infamous. From birth, he couldn't walk, and now he walks. You know what? Supernatural things have happened before our very eyes. Now, they're biblical illiterates and pagans, so they say it's the gods, but I actually like it that they say it in one sense because it's an an acknowledgement of the supernatural. This, This can't be explained. This wasn't through hucksterism or something else. And so then in verse 12, Barnabas, they called Zeus. He's the great God Zeus. And Paul Hermes, he's, he's the, the, the spokesman of the group. So he, he's Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The Greek gods have come in the form of these men. If you're wondering why the conclusion, well, because that's what they believed. It's part of the, what their system is. I read that the Roman poet Ovid, who died in AD 70, and one of his writings tells a story of Zeus and Hermes. And they visited this very area. And there was an, I think, it, and this is off the top of my head, an elderly couple showed them hospitality. And they were wonderfully rewarded by Zeus and Hermes. Now is that what these guys have on their minds? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, but perhaps that's what they have in mind. You know what? We, we, we'd we better show them great honor and praise because this, this according to our mythology and according to, to tradition, this has happened before. Verse 13 says, and the priest of Zeus, cool band name, by the way, <laughs> the priest of Zeus. Forgive me. I was the alternative music rep for Capital EMI Records when I was in college. The priest of Zeus. Okay. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Can you imagine? 14 says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments. This is Jewish grief expressed. Was it true in their culture or not? I don't know, but they're saying, no, don't do this. Stop. And rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? And then, the apostle Paul says, in Psalm chapter 2, no, in Exodus, he doesn't do it. Because he's not talking to Jews. He's talking to pagans. But notice how biblical his response is without chapter and verse as we've been seeing throughout the book of Acts so far. In verse 15, halfway through it says, we also are men of like nature with you. We are not gods, we're human beings. We're not inherently better than you. How about that? We're like you guys. We're not on a different level because we're Christians. We are men of like nature with you. Let's keep reading. And we bring you good news. We bring you gospel news. We bring you the message about another and what he offers to sinners like us and like you as human beings. So we're not special, but we're bringing you the message about someone who is special. It's not us. It's him. Let's keep moving. That you should turn from these vain things. So he's calling sin, sin. Your, your mythology is vanity. It's empty. It's not true. It's not good. It's bad. It's worshiping what's made up, not what is true. Because notice what he goes on to say. To a living God. Turn from these vain things to a living God. How about that for a striking reality? He's different from your mythology. He's different from Zeus. He's different from Hermes. He's different from all of the rest. We're not talking about one we can serve with idols that we make with our hands, a statues or whatever it is to a living God, totally different who notice made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. We're, we're here to talk to you about the transcendent Creator. Who's above and beyond you. He's above and beyond us. He's above and beyond all of your so-called gods that are actually vain. Vanity. They're vanity. They're vanity. And they are vain. Both. I think he's acknowledging that it's built in the nature of humanity to worship. He knows that. But their God-shaped void is twisted into idolatrous form, which happens because of sin. Let's keep going. Verse 16. In past generations... He allowed all these, all the nations to walk in their own ways. I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, but God is sovereign. God is God. But he was allowing something to happen. Then it's going to go to, but now. So there is a plan. There is a purpose. There is a providence. He allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. My favorite commentator these days in the book of Acts, Guy Prentice Waters says this, that's likely referring to the period of time before the ministry of Jesus on earth when the nations of the world uniformly dwelt in spiritual darkness and when the sphere of God's covenanted mercies did not extend much beyond the boundaries of Israel. Okay, 17. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. He's always been there. He was allowing, but he, but he had a witness for he did good by giving you rains from heaven. You want to know where those came from? Not the God of rain, but the God of the universe, the one true living God. He's the one who was giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Let me tell you about this God, the one God, Yahweh, the living God. He's been patient, but he has been speaking, not special revelation, we call it, but general revelation, we call it different category. Paul's giving them special revelation, the truth about salvation, but God has been extending grace to them. There's another category we, we have in theology. We say it's common grace. It's not saving grace, special grace. It's common grace. It's like Romans chapter 1 said in different words. God has been showing himself. You want to know why you're happy when you have a good harvest? God's common grace. You want to know why you smile when the baby smiles back for the first time? God is good. God's common grace. God isn't giving you what you deserve, wrath and condemnation. He's been giving you so many good things. But they don't save you. Again, think Romans 1. They actually hold you all the more accountable that there is a one true and living God that we all have to give an account to. Let me tell you about that God. He's using biblical categories. He's using biblical theology. He's just not using chapter and verse because it's not a point of reference for them. But I would suggest to you, make no mistake about it, He's sticking to the script, explaining the truth to people in ways that they have some comprehension then verse 18 says even with these words they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them once again i think that underscores the legitimacy of the miracle 19 says but jews came from antioch and iconium they're they're hunting them down they won't leave well enough alone They've now tracked them down and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dra- dragged, hi- dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. What, what, what? What in the what? What in the world just happened? They were they, they, they were, they were so for Paul. They'd seen the miracle so much so, so believing in the miraculous that, that they were still going to offer sacrifices even though Paul insisted that they wouldn't. So we go from, we're so in, Paul. We're going to offer sacrifices to you and to Barnabas. They're so for the miracle, so for the miracle worker. And now, execute him. Trippy. Isn't it interesting how people love the supernatural? Do we still have psychic hotlines or is that passed because of the internet age? Well, even if we don't have psych- psychic hotlines that you call, people are all about it. When we used to live in Los Angeles years ago, it's like, okay, so if you can't, you know, make money doing anything else, you just have a sign made for your window and it says psychic. And there are a couple of other professions, but I'm not going to mention them. There were psychics all over the place and it's not because there wasn't any money in it. We, we love supernatural things. We're drawn to supernatural kinds of things. But you know what offends us and makes us angry? Is when you tell us the definitive objective meaning of a supernatural thing. Like the apostle Paul was doing. Supernatural things have happened and now let me tell you about the God who has done the supernatural things. And let me tell you about his son. And let me tell you about how you must believe in him to have eternal life. Where are the rocks? How dare you question my religion and my sincerity? That's what's happening here. It's really interesting. It's why I like to remind Bible readers, readers of the New Testament, that Jesus didn't just come as the strong, silent type, leaving it up to you and to me to determine the meaning of his actions. Jesus came as the strong one, and he was silent when he needed and wanted to be silent. But Jesus, like his apostles, spoke and interpreted the meaning of the actions. So we've got to, if we're going to be faithful to preaching the gospel, it's partly explaining the meaning of why Christ died. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. No one is good, no, not one. If you don't believe in Jesus you'll perish. The good news is if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. I love it that Paul isn't, that that he sees these pagan goddess worshipers and in lowercase g, God worshipers, he he treats them as peers. My fellow men. It's not, I'm so much better than you because I, it's not it but he does call them to account. Okay. 20 says, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So we're going to go to the next place. You're, if you're like me, you're thinking, why did he go back into the city? And what did the scars look like? And how much Advil did he take? And I mean, all those kinds of things you have to wonder about that didn't really happen. But things that make you go, hmm, okay, we better move on. Now he goes to Derby. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel, there it is again. Preaching the gospel. Oh, did you think Paul blew it in the last town? I don't think he blew it in the last town. He got the gospel right. But people don't always respond positively, even when you get the gospel right. So now, when they had preached the gospel, sticking to it, it's the power of God unto salvation, to that city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. strengthening, building them. And you know what it's about? The way to be strong and to be spiritually strong and to have souls that are strong. It's the faith. It's the truth about Christ. It's the objective once and for all delivered to the saints' faith like Jude talks about. It's the faith. 22 says, if we keep going and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, which is also really good. He's sounding like they're sounding like Jesus. Jesus. Right? Eternal life is found in me. Absolutely. If you trust in me, though you die, you will live. But he also taught, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And so the apostle Paul's helping them to understand that there is going to be conflict. Let me, t- let me show you my scars. Let me show you what just happened to me. And it wasn't because I was preaching the wrong message. I was preaching the right message. So let me help you with that. Isn't it fascinating that he says through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God? It, So is it enter the kingdom by lots of suffering? No and yes, yes and no, depending on what you mean. You enter the kingdom by way of your good works? That would be contrary to everything he's taught. So if you want to be a nuanced theologian, which all theologians who are good are nuanced and careful about how they say things. If this doesn't make sense to you, you can just think about barbecue. We'll be having it soon. If we talk about the kingdom, there's the kingdom inaugurated. that We're sensing it now. We're experiencing blessings now. But we talk about the kingdom consummated when we're at the marriage supper of the lamb and all things are made right and new. And uh, So I would look at it that way. You you don't enter the kingdom of God by suffering as far as being a citizen of it. You, You entered the kingdom of God by trusting in the son and you receive all of his benefits. That's true of us now. But you know what? The road along the way to the consummation, (laughs) the road along the way between now that we're in the family, citizens of the kingdom, to the time when we meet the king, there's going to be a lot of suffering. Before the crown, there's going to be difficulty. Why all the suffering? Well, for the sake of time, we don't really have a lot of time. We can go back to Acts 9, verses 13 to 16. The Apostle Paul was chosen by God to be a, an evangelist to the Gentiles. But he also does say, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's true, the Apostle Paul, and now we're seeing it happen. You could look at this later, perhaps, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and following, the Apostle Paul, who's helping a younger pastor know how life works and gospel ministry works and life in the church works, even after the apostolic time, he says, Timothy, remember my time when I was in the Galatian region and I was preaching the gospel and I suffered. And so th- he actually says... At Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, persecutions I endured. The Lord ultimately rescued me. But then he says this to to Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's helpful for us. What the Apostle Paul goes through in Acts 14 was then shared with Timothy. So Timothy, don't change the script. Timothy, don't change the gospel just because there's hostility. Remember when I was in the Galatian region, but then Paul, Paul expands it. Beyond Timothy, all Omaha Bible Church, 21st century, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So just because there's hostility doesn't mean the message is wrong. Then we'd better wrap this up in 23 and following. And when they had appointed elders... For them in every church, so every church has elders, that tells us something important. Someday we'll look at 1 Timothy and Titus once again and see more about that. Elders in every church with prayer and fasting, that tells us something about how important that office is as they're going to be overseers, as they're going to be shepherds. We are taking it seriously, so there's prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then we'll wrap it up, 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So now they've gone full circle. They've gone back to give a report, to encourage, to boast in God. 27 says, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. What determines faithful evangelism? In one word that's awkward and strange, so maybe you remember it. What determines faithful evangelism in one word is the evangel. The evangel determines faithful evangelism. Evangel means good news. The good news determines faithful evangelism. And not only do we have the evangel as in the good news, we have the good one. It's about the good one. It's about Jesus. So if you tell the truth about Jesus... And we can talk about his birth, we can talk about his life, we can talk about his death, we can talk about his resurrection, we can talk about his ascension, we can talk about all of these things that he's accomplished on behalf of everyone who would ever believe in him if we tell the good news to people, that's biblical evangelism. And then we call them to respond to the evangel, and the right way to respond to the evangel, the good news is to believe in Jesus. The other side of that coin is to repent, to repent and to believe, to believe and repent. It's not that complicated. Some are going to believe. Some are going to reject. Some might hunt you down and want to do anything to get you to stop. Let's be like the Apostle Paul when he would later write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, at least later in our books of the Bible unfolding, he would later write, I resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Shorthand for I resolved, I made up my mind ahead of time, no matter what happens when I ride on my horse into Corinth, if, that, if that's how he got there, no matter what happens, my resolve is to preach the evangel no matter what that needs to be us leave the results to god father thank you for this morning thank you for time at omaha bible church thank you for the saints around the world some who are already even enjoying their evenings And some who are yet to worship as we have. Thank you so much for what you're doing in the world. So many things seem chaotic and upside down and some perverse. And yet we know that Jesus Christ the righteous is for everyone who trusts in him. May we be men and women and boys and girls. This church and many other churches who preach the evangel. The good news of salvation in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.